everyone. Welcome to semester four, episode 11 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admissions give expert advice into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Marie, a college admissions counselor at Ivy Wise and former assistant director of admissions at MIT. And joining me today are my friends and fellow Ivy Wise colleagues, Lorenza, who is our executive functioning team leader, and Nikki, who is an executive functioning coach. In this episode, we're going to share advice on how parents can support their children through the educational through their educational journeys while still helping them become independent learners and extraordinary students. Nikki and Lorenza, I'm really excited about this episode because um, besides being a college admissions counselor, I am also a mother of two boys. I have a fourth grader and can't believe that he only has one more year of elementary school when this semester is done. And then I also have an eighth grader who is transitioning into high school. So I am really looking forward to the advice that you're going to provide because it's going to be super relevant and I can put it into my life right away. So um, one of the things, because of the parents that I know, um, a lot of uh, parents are very, uh, they notice that their children, when they're transitioning from one school to another, say elementary school into middle school or middle school into high school, that they notice that their students struggle because there are some new expectations, um, particularly things like um, they all they have a whole bunch of teachers now, and each teacher sort of does things a little bit differently. And some students really struggle with keeping track of all of that. Do you have any um, advice about how parents can help their children kind of navigate these transitions? And Lorenza, maybe you can start us off. Yes, I would love to. Yes. Hi, my name is Lorenza. And um, I'm the team leader for the executive functioning coaching at Ivy Wise. And I also have two children, a 14 year old who's a freshman in high school and a freshman in college as well. So I have seen all of the transition from middle school to high school to college and um, and see the need for really good strategies for executive functioning, especially as they as they go um, through these phases. And then in college where it's really, really necessary and the parents cannot really be there to coach them. So I really do think that middle school and elementary school are great times to really start to have these strategies in place. In terms of as they go up into high school and from middle school into high school, I do think that children need a lot of executive functioning strategies. Uh, The way I like to work with children um, to give them these strategies is first to let them see how much time is available to them during the day and what I do for this is I create like a color coded Google calendar. So what they can see, what is the supply of time that they have and what is the demand for their time? So, you know, with color codes, we say like, this is the time that you're in school. This is the time where you have practice. This is the time where you have sports. And, and then how much time do you have available for homework and how can we use that time more efficiently? I also um, work with them on doing a weekly calendar so that they can see what's coming up that week and they can get a, a snapshot Um, And then we can see what's coming up if there's a test on Thursday or there's a paper that they need to turn in on Friday. And then we backtrack and say, okay, so when do we need to start preparing and where do you when do you need to have the first draft by, et cetera, so that they know what's coming in and and how to prepare in advance so that they're not procrastinating and and um, and handing in things without revising. I also encourage them to spend an hour, at least on Sundays, kind of like getting ready for the week. So creating this calendar on Sunday and then sitting um, sitting down again on Tuesday so that they can incorporate more things that the teachers have assigned uh, for the end of the week. 
Um, I also feel that it's really important to make sure that the student is the one making the decisions about what the plan will look like. And um, and you can be there to support them and, and correct them, but, um, but it has to come from them so that they feel that they're the author of the plan. And also, I think it's really important for parents to make sure that they're not doing the executive functioning for the child and they're not becoming their frontal lobe, but they're actually encouraging the child to do the to, to do the um, executive functioning themselves. So instead of becoming their frontal lobe, it's it's more of a series of the parents supporting the student by asking them questions about how they feel they can get all of this done. So um, I think that's really important. And the other element is to really help them develop good study skills. Uh, now that they're going to be having a lot more classes and a lot more teachers, it's really important to check in with them and says, uh, and, and just ask them, you know, what strategy seems to work for you in this class? Uh, and that might be very different from a strategy that works for a different class. So the way you study for math is very different than the way you study for a history quiz. So what works, what doesn't work, what does your teacher think is the best way to prepare? How can you prepare? And then once they have a couple of tests and quizzes under their belt, you can say, what worked last time and what do you think you can do differently in order to be more successful next time? So I think um, I think those are really good skills to um, to have. And also another thing that I would encourage parents is to try to keep the teacher in the in the process, have them um, go to the teacher and ask the teacher you know, how should I prepare for this test or how am I doing as a student? How do, how do you think I can improve as a student? So having a close relationship with a teacher and getting their feedback, I think is crucial. Like if you're going to turn in a paper in English, have the teacher look at your outline, have your teacher look at a first draft or a second draft so that you can really know that you're on the, on the right track. Nikki, do you have other, other uh, advice that you would like to add? I think that that was a lot of really helpful advice because that transition period is so difficult when expectations change, your whole schedule changes. Um, I think it's also just really important for parents to have a little bit of patience with their children as well during a transition and to keep in mind it's a transition for them too, right? The parents also are probably going to have to change their own executive functioning a little bit because suddenly their schedule is different. And so even kind of teaming up with your child and saying, look, this is a big change for me too. This is how I'm going to try to organize my week. Let's do it together. We'll make it easier for them later on to do it by themselves. Um, I, I love that idea that this is also a transition for parents. I never really thought about it that way, but um, actually sometimes young people are even better with transitions than we adults are. So that's really interesting. Kind of, you know, when you have little kids, you're so used to doing everything for them. And I think kids are ready for more independence than we're even willing to give it to them. So I love that this idea of kind of figuring out whether it's a transition for you as a parent as well. Um, yeah, there was some really great stuff in there. I particularly like the idea of kind of really figuring out how much time do you actually have, you know, for a student, you know, really looking at your calendar very specifically and figuring out how much time you have, because I think a lot of students can very underestimate, right, what, what they really, um, how busy they really are. Um, and then I like the idea of the Sunday uh, check-in where you really look at your week and really prepare for it. So there's some really awesome advice there. Um, another scenario that I want to put out there, some things that I uh, run into, you know, with my own middle school student, um, he's, he's become much more aware 
of kind of where he is in the academic pecking order, uh, so to speak. Um, for example, he is, some of his friends are in a higher math class than he is, and he started to really feel bad about that and um, think that he's bad at math. He's starting to have some self-talk about this. And um, I'm sure this happens with other children in different subjects. And Nikki, um, do you have any advice for a parent when, they're, and when their student is, is uh, struggling with this kind of issue? Yeah, that's definitely something that a lot of students experience because very few are, right, 100% the best at every subject. There are going to be some that there may be a little bit easier for them to do, some that require more work. But that idea of kind of, I'm good at this, I'm bad at this, is a very fixed mindset. And as a parent, you want to be encouraging a growth mindset, which is effectively the idea that skills and traits and academic ability can change over time, right? Life is in flux and you're able to grow and work on things. And so with a growth mindset, you're able to really consider, okay, is something getting in the way of my success in this class? How can I improve upon my own skills? And that's something as a parent that's really helpful to encourage along with the idea that you know, it's not necessarily the end of the world if you're in a lower math class. Maybe that's a good place for you to be right now so that you can get towards the higher one later. Um, and parents also can really just encourage students to be resilient, right? Life is going to have setbacks. Things are going to happen that don't feel great in the moment. And working through it is something that's so important to encourage independence later on so that they're able to have you in these moments, sort of helping them through it, and then they can do it for themselves. Yes, I agree. I think resilience is a characteristic that we really, as parents, need to encourage in our children. And I think it's a, it's a huge predictor for much more success later on in life. So I think it's also really helpful to have the student think of this as a marathon and not a race. What happens right now in your math grouping does not predict what's going to happen with you, um, you know, with your math abilities going forward into high school and beyond. So I, I, you know, there's many students that can also move up a level later on. And um, so I think the idea of resilience and the idea of just praising the effort and making sure that they understand that with effort, all, all of these skills can also be learned, that it's not that they're bad at math and they will be bad at math forever. I think it's really important that they, the kind of talk that they use with themselves, like self-talking is really important to make sure that they, that it's not like negative self-talk that is, um, you know, that they have the idea that they, they're awful at math and this is never going to change or anything, or they're always going to be in a lower group. I think it's more important for them to know that with a growth mindset, they can acquire these abilities and they can practice these abilities and they can improve and to just compare themselves to where they were before and their own personal growth instead of having them compare themselves to others because that does not like really lead to good mental health um, outcomes later on. Um, thank you, Nikki and Lorenza. Um, I really love this emphasis on the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I think that's really a key to helping um, young people get past these kind of challenges. And I also really love the idea of it being a marathon, not a sprint, because I do think, especially children, I think have a hard time thinking about, they don't have perspective, right? What's happening now just feels like the whole world. So to kind of help them see that there's, this is just a small part of a longer journey. So I love that. Um, let's think about another scenario. Um, 
Oh, yes. <laughs> My middle schooler. I mean, they're, young people have challenges that we did not have when we were kids. They have these distractions. You know, I don't think all the technology that has, has is proliferated and how it's changed the way uh, students relate to each other and all the distractions that they have. And oftentimes when I come into my eighth grader's room when he's supposed to be doing his homework, he's got his, uh, you know, his earbuds in his ear. I, I swear they're like surgically implanted in children's ears when they enter middle school because he's always got them on. And he'll be listening to music while he's studying or sometimes I even catch him like he's actually watching Netflix while he's like working on math problems or studying for a test. And you know, I've had to take these things away from him just so that he can really focus on his studies. And, um, you know, what kind of boundaries should should parents place on their children's study practices and environments? You know, what's reasonable given how attached students are to their devices these days and how so much schoolwork is actually happening on devices? Um, Lorenza, do you have any um, tips for parents out there? Yes. I mean, I'm having, um, you know, my freshman in high school, it's really, really difficult to monitor what they're doing on the computer at every second. So what we talk about is we talk about a schedule for the day and what they need to accomplish uh, for that day and how long each task is supposed to take. So I think the, the the main thing is for them to monitor themselves. Like, do they feel that they are working in the time that is reasonable? So if a math homework is supposed to take them 40 minutes and two hours can gone by and they have not finished that math homework, then they need to monitor themselves and say, okay, what is distracting me? And what are my time robbers, as I like to call them? Uh, what's going on? Is it like I'm watching YouTube and I'm not able to finish? So I have all this homework that's accumulating because I haven't been able to finish math, which is something that should have taken only 40 minutes. And instead it has taken me two hours. I think it's really difficult for parents to monitor them every single second. And it's really useful to put that more into the, the student's hands so that they can monitor themselves. Um, I think before they begin the homework, say, okay, this is what I have to do for the day. And this is how long each of the tasks is, should take me. And then to monitor themselves and see if, if, if they actually are running on time for that task or if they're taking too long. And if they're taking too long, what is distracting them and, um, and what's getting in their way. So I think the monitoring ability is really useful to transfer to the student themselves when they're um, a little bit more able to handle that responsibility. Um, I think before, if, if, if they're not able to do that yet, I think the most important thing is to make sure that they turn off notifications on their computer while they're doing homework. And also not to have their phone, uh, which is more of like a, you know, like a device where they do all the social media and everything on their phone. So making sure that the phone is out of the study area while they're doing homework and that if they're doing homework on the computer, that they turn off their notifications. Um, I also think it's important to provide the student with an area that is organized and it's clutter free where they have all of the materials that they need. And they also have like storage binders where they can um, have all of their recent exams and everything else so that they can look at it and they can um, organize all of their belongings in, within that area. I also think it's important to help them sense the passage of time and realize, um, like we said in the beginning, what, what distractions are coming in that are not allowing them to complete a task on time. So I think a lot of a lot of the students feel that something should take them 
five minutes um, when in, in, you know, when in effect it takes them like 50 minutes. So I think it's, um, I work with the students on designing, like having like a little time calculator where they, they, for example, like if a worksheet for math has 10 problems and one of the, of the problems is taking them five minutes, then we know that the, that in order to complete the homework, it will take them 50 minutes. So I think it's important to have a, have a clock and, and make sure that they're staying on task um, so that they can, they can stay on task and not be distracted. And also the other thing that parents can, can really help is with the sleep hygiene and making sure that they're getting enough sleep and that they, um, and that they don't have a, a phone in their bedroom that, you know, that they might be texting with friends until like 1am or something like that. So I think it's, it's really important to make sure that the parents are implementing these boundaries so that they get enough sleep and they get enough study time without distractions. Absolutely. And I think, you know, so many kids that are growing up with this technology sort of don't even realize that there is another way and they might not realize how dependent they are on checking their phone, checking notifications, hopping on social media. And for younger kids, part of this could be really training them kind of behaviorally to not be on their phone by getting an app that blocks social media at certain points during the day or limits what they can search online because that technology can work in your favor. And then sometimes with older kids, you know, part of this independent process is that they're going to make their own mistakes. And so these conversations can happen, but if they're still reaching for their phone, they're still getting distracted. They are going to do worse in school. And that might be a mistake that they need to make to recognize, okay, I actually have to do something about this because the science shows, right? There's no way for us to focus on two things at once. It just doesn't work. Yeah, this is great advice. I've been taking notes because this is, you know, this is one of the issues I'm dealing with almost on a daily basis. Um, I love this idea of demonstrating to students just how much time they're, you know, these time robbers. And I think if some students actually have some data in front of them, like, okay, this should have taken me X amount of time. And instead it took me double, you know, they'll, they'll sort of recognize that this is, this is how they're, you know, not staying up until midnight doing homework when they, when it really isn't necessary. And um, Nikki, I loved what you said about how these young people have grown up with devices and they don't even understand, they don't know that there's another way. And that was a little bit of a light bulb for me. So um, I, I think there's some really great advice that both of you uh, presented for parents. Um, and also related to this idea of, uh, you know, how we study and, and, and helping students uh, be more efficient is I work with so many students who have major issues with procrastination. Um, there was one student I worked with who um, her parents were so frustrated, they felt like they, they couldn't make any headway getting their, their child to stop procrastinating. And so I was actually reaching out to her um, on a weekly basis to say, okay, what did you finish this week? And what are your goals for next week? Um, and I noticed that when she would meet with me, um, she would have these kind of quasi legitimate excuses. I couldn't do this because of this. And I couldn't do that because of that. And it all sounded like it kind of made sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, she was not um, staying on task. And uh, Nikki, do you have any um, advice for, you know, this kind of frustrating situation for parents mm -hmm. and how they can help their child, um, how they can help their child through this without alienating them? Yeah, this is definitely a situation that's very stressful for parents and truthfully pretty stressful for the students as well. And sometimes 
people might have kind of an underlying reason why they're procrastinating, right? Maybe they're really afraid of getting an F on this paper, so they keep pushing it off. Maybe they don't really understand the material. And those are things that are a little easier to work through. But sometimes people are just kind of natural procrastinators, and that's what they like to do. And it can be challenging for parents to see this. And the urge is, we need to talk about it. We need to schedule it. We need to get this done. And then every conversation is about procrastinating. Um, and that is definitely something that can alienate the relationship. So making sure that there are times where you're not talking about the procrastination is actually going to be really beneficial. Maybe, you know, like Lorenza mentioned earlier, there's that Sunday night where you sit down and plan the week. So maybe that's something that parents can do with students for a while to plan out what actually needs to be done. When should you start working on it? When's the last day you can hand it in? And having a dedicated time for that conversation so it's not something that comes up every single day. And also, right, this might be another time where people are going to make their mistakes and it can be revisited afterwards, right? Like, okay, you got a D on this paper. Where do we think we might have gone wrong? Um, and then really helping them problem solve, right? What is getting in the way? Are you forgetting it? Is it access to a certain technology or materials? Really just trying to figure it out together from a place of curiosity instead of judgment and really letting the student know that you're there to support them in all areas of life. This is just one thing that you'll talk about sometimes. Yes, I agree. And I think also when when students um, are preparing for for high school during the high school years, when they have extracurriculars, it's uh, it's really difficult to combine, you know, studying for the SAT and then studying for to get good grades and then doing all these extracurriculars. And I think a lot of the times the extracurriculars get pushed back because, um, you know, it's the least urgent thing and um, and, you know, their plates are already super full. So. Sometimes they don't know how to start an activity. Sometimes things don't have structure, like things in school may have structure, but like, you know, start your um, a project for a community service project that you're leading on your own. That's something that has absolutely no structure. So a lot of the time, um, you know, students don't know how to get started. So I think this is when it's really useful for parents to help them problem solve and see what are the first steps getting, in, you know, that are getting in the way so that you can solve those and then you can continue on the next phase. So just kind of like really break it down and see where the student is struggling so that they can learn how to problem solve. And I think as a parent, you can also model the way you problem solve on a day-to-day -day basis when you run into problems. You can say, so I ran into this problem and this is how I do it. So, because I think teaching our students to be problem solvers is really, really a huge advantage for them. So the more we can model it and the, the more we can point to where they are not able to solve a problem and how they can go about it, I think it's it could be really useful as well. Absolutely. I love that point because the modeling is so crucial and even sort of looping them in to problem solve for you as a parent, kind of sneaky modeling by saying, you know, this is an issue I'm having with my time management. Do you have any suggestions for me? And maybe once the student is able to help out the parents too, that could give them a little bit of confidence in their abilities. Yes, I agree. And I think as parents, we run into problems all the time and it's it's good to share them with the student and, and see how they would go about them and, and what perspective they would um, they would have in a problem like this. So I think it's also preparing them for adulthood later on. So I think I think it's really important to try to model this for them. 
I think this is such great advice to focus on this idea of problem solving and modeling that and and helping students uh, practice problem solving. And Nikki, what you were saying about kind of, the and I think maybe Lorenza mentioned this earlier too, is using mistakes as learning opportunities, because I think sometimes as parents, we don't want our children to ever feel any kind of pain or suffering. And so we try to shelter them from um, any kind of mistake and sort of the, the consequences of mistakes, but they're actually really great learning opportunities or they can be. And so I think that's a really good point for parents to kind of know when to step back and kind of let the consequences be the teacher. So especially when students are younger and, and the um, the stakes are lower, I think it's a great time to, to do that. Um, Sometimes uh, there's tension between a parent and their child because the parent has some strong ideas about the kinds of careers that they might want their kid to pursue. Um, in my work as a counselor, you know, I've worked with high school seniors who look very humanities oriented to me, um, but they've got MIT on their list, you know, and in my own family, um, my husband, who's a software engineer, he really wants our eighth grader to sign up for computer science next year in high school. Um, and my son is pushing back. Um, and how should a parent navigate uh, guiding their child to, to make wise decisions about their academic direction? Um, you know, we know about the realities of the, of the workplace and we want to make sure that our, our children um, have gainful employment one day when they're independent. Um, but how do we do that while still respecting our child's independence and not wanting to kind of dampen any of their intellectual curiosity and the kind of directions that they're going in? Um, I think I think it's really important to respect who your child is and what they're interested in. But I also understand that they might not understand that the realities of the job market, um, you know, lead to a to you know to a field where they would really benefit from taking classes like computer science so what i would do is i would make a list of all of their all of the interests that they have and make a plan so that they feel that they can explore their these interests uh, both inside and outside of school so summers can be also a great time where they can explore these interests or taking other electives again i would go back to the idea that this is a marathon and not a sprint so the fact that you take computer science in eighth grade would be useful if you want to continue um, again in computer science throughout the rest of high school and it will be really useful in the in the workplace at any point but it's high school also offers opportunities to take other electives that they are interested in so um, I think you know you could combine the two and just make them see that there is space for everything that there's space for taking your parents advice and um, and seeing the realities of the of the workplace and also there is space during other electives in high school and in the summers where you can explore your other interests and that and that you can encourage them to find activities to explore these interests. Absolutely. It's it's very important that kids are able to recognize for themselves what they enjoy and what they don't. And that's part of them being independent is being able to say, you know what, I've recognized that I really care about my humanities classes. I am not interested in coding. I also think that truthfully, someone who's in eighth grade probably doesn't really have a concept of money. And so having a conversation about, oh, long term, the salary is going to be different might not be as strong of a connector for them. And so really letting them guide their path. And it's fair to say, you know, you need to try a few different types of electives, but you have the choice for which ones those are. Can encourage them to sort of try out different things a little bit while still giving them control and independence. 
That sounds so, that sounds really helpful. Um, you know, I have, uh, I, I recently talked to a friend of mine who was a ninth grader, and this uh, to me is very much related to what we're talking about, where um, this ninth grader is not very focused on her studies at all. Um, she has the potential to, to get straight A's, but her, her social life has become her focus. And there's become a lot of tension between um, my friend and her daughter because um, her daughter is not receptive to any kind of conversation about how her decisions and choices that she makes now could impact her future college prospects or her future career. And, um, it, you know, it's become a lot of tension. And how can how should a parent navigate something like this? How, how can they build a strong relationship to kind of keep these channels open to have important conversations, but also, um, you know, not have the relationship focused completely on academics and the kid's future? Mm-hmm. That I is, think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think that's right. One of those, one of those situations that every parent experiences in some way, because to a ninth grader, what could possibly be more important than friends and social status? Because that is their whole life right now. And being a parent to teenagers, and it, it, it is so difficult. And sometimes it's helpful to try to remember what it was like when you were that age, because there are so many different emotions going through their heads every five seconds. And the new edition of social media has changed how they feel accepted and what feels important to them. And so really being able to have good communication across different topics is something that's going to be helpful. If they're able to talk to you about social situations, then down the line, it might be easier to talk about the future. And I think that, you know, you can always encourage focusing a little bit more on school, trying to think about the future, but it definitely is a balance because these other things are important. And it's important for them to have some choice in how they spend their time and that they're able to live towards their values in this moment. Um, And also keeping in mind, you know, is this an average adolescent sort of struggle with social situations or is there maybe something more going on? If you have a student who feels very, very consumed by the need to always have friends feel a certain way about them, Maybe it's time to reach out for your student to have someone to talk to a little bit because those socio um, emotional needs can definitely impact academics as well. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I think being an adolescent is really, really difficult. And parenting an adolescent is really difficult. <laughs> it's um, you need to engage um, your adolescent through empathy and problem solving in her social situations. Um, but it's also important during this time, since grades are really important, um, it's important to also make sure that they that they keep up with their grades. I think one of the one of the um, best things that you can do is say like, okay, how do you envision your college experience? And when do, where do you think that you might want to go and then see what's required, like go into Navians and say, okay, if you want to go to university of Michigan for students in your school, this is, you know, when they get this GPA and this SAT, this is what you, um, you know, this is what students shoot for in order to have like a good chance of getting accepted so that they know exactly what's expected. Because sometimes adolescents are so consumed 
by, you know, their, their social media and their social struggles that it's really difficult for, for them to even keep in mind what is required of them when they do want to go to college. And the bad thing is that once they realize and they're a senior, you cannot turn back time and you cannot turn back the grades that, that you wish you could have had in freshman year. So I think parenting and adolescent going through these struggles is really difficult. I think you have to um, empathize and help them problem solve on the social part first, and then remind them what, what is needed for them in order to go to the college that they're, that they're shooting for in their dreams. And one strategy that I've even used sort of to get towards that place is to say, okay, so your friends are really important to you. When you go to college, do you want to be in a big school where you can meet lots of different people or a smaller school where you can have closer friends? (laughs) and kind of use that social approach. What kind of clubs do you want at a school? What kind of relationships with your classmates to get them to a place where they start to think about college and then saying, okay, if you wanna go to a big school like Yukon or like you know, a state school that's huge, what do you need to do to get in there? And if you wanna go to a liberal arts college, if you wanna go to an Ivy League because you like that environment, what's required of you? And that can also give them a little bit more motivation to focus on schoolwork. I love that idea of uh, kind of meeting them where they are. You know, if their social life is really what's consuming them to think about, well, what would that look like in college? And to, to kind of talk about college in that way, instead of going to just strictly through the academic channel. I also, you know, when I talked to this particular friend, I did emphasize that there are so many pathways to, you know, quote unquote success. And I think sometimes parents have sort of a narrow uh, idea of what that is or what they want for their kids. You know, maybe they want their kid to graduate with really great grades and then immediately go on to a fantastic college. And that's going to be, you know, and then immediately go to graduate school and then immediately have an amazing career with a great starting salary. But as we know, there's lots of different pathways to that. And even if your child is kind of struggling for the first couple of years of high school, there's time to work on those grades. And there is a college out there that is going to give them a good education. And so I think parents sometimes need to check their own kind of anxiety and let their children be themselves. And, you know, I don't know if you agree with me about that, but that was one of the things that I told my friend. Yes, I totally, I totally agree with you. I think it's, um, I think a lot of the time parents, as parents, we really need to work on ourselves, you know, and of not being too anxious of not transferring our anxiety to, to our students and on, on really having them choose a, like a school that is right for them and, and where they can flourish as, as people. So I think it's, it's very important to keep our own feelings in check and making sure that we're not transferring all of this anxiety onto our children. Yeah. And if you're hoping to encourage independence, And we talked about in a a previous podcast kind of self-advocacy, right? These skills and this growth mindset and these abilities to your child, part of that independence is letting them make these choices and figuring out what's going to work best for them, even if it's not what you had in mind. And that just about wraps up this episode. The Just Admitted podcast is going to take a short recess for the summer break, but we look forward to bringing you semester five in the fall. In the meantime, please catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. 
Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more resources on how to stay productive over this long school break. We wish everyone a very safe, very healthy, and very relaxing and productive summer. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye.